0: This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on 9 to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, our guest now has some tips on parenting teenage girls from both a professional and a a personal perspective, I guess. He certainly has plenty of experience in his own family home. However, it is his professional work, Dr. Justin Colson, PhD, that has produced the book Misconnection, Why Your Teenage Daughter Hates You, Expects the World and Needs to Talk. The Brisbane-based psychologist says we need to give girls time and compassion. He surveyed 400 girls for the book, finding their need for connection with us top's concerns about personal appearance or social media. An exacerbating factor, though, and this might come as less a surprise, is that they keep secret and lie to parents about screen time and boys. Justin is in New Zealand at the moment and is uh, near Rotorua, I think. Uh, Good morning and welcome. Uh,
1: Mission Bay, but on my way to Rotorua via Cathedral Cove, where really doing our best to experience, well, the best of the North Island at the moment.
0: You've taken some time out on a very beautiful roadie trip, so thanks very much for that. Uh, do you have six daughters with you at the moment, by the way?
1: No, we have a tradition that when each of our daughters turns 16, we take them away somewhere, uh, reasonably priced, it's, it's not an extravagance, but we take them away somewhere where we can spend two, three, maybe four nights with them, and we have all of our big conversations we've had the conversations lots of times but this is kind of once they're 16 they're so close to adulthood so this is our last big blast to sort of say hey you know these are the these are the things that we think are important where are you on them and and how can we help you to make safe wise healthy decisions throughout the rest of your life so that's why we're here just with one of them to um, to really experience what it's like for her to be 16 and talk to her about the the next phases of her life.
0: What a great idea to have a one-on-one intensive, one way or another, because one of the things about um, a large family of girls, or actually any family, of course, is there's that element of competition all the time, isn't it? Competition for parental <laughs> time and space and concentration. Parents are juggling multiple multiple issues and trying to understand um, what's happening in their kids' heads. So that's a lovely thing to do straight off the bat, isn't it? Just somehow make and find the time to get away just with one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I am mean, with six kids, uh, we recognised that it was just crucial that our children get to have those one-on-one experiences, and, um, and this is one way that we do that. We have a handful of other things that we do, but this is one tradition that the children, they look forward to it. You know, my, my, my 12-year-old just said, I can't wait, only four more years and I get to do this, uh, as she watched us leave. She was so excited about it. So, you know, there's that that anticipation that hope that optimism that looking forward to the good things to come which is so important for our children's well-being who
0: how many kids uh, how many young teens did you talk to I think it was something like 400 uh, teen girls that you spoke to as part of this teen girls and young women what else did you do to prepare yourself for a really deep dive into the experience of this time of life
1: uh, it was funny. When my publisher, um, HarperCollins and ABC Books in Australia, came to me and said, we think you should write a book about teenage girls. You've got six daughters. Um, you must have something to contribute to this conversation. I laughed and I, I said, I, I, I have the same struggles with my teenage girls that I'm sure anybody does. And uh, it, it's been a long time since I was a teenager and I've never been a girl. This is going to be tricky. And so I, I, I really sat down with a handful of parents, uh, a handful of people that I really looked to for advice, and, and even with my own kids, uh, and, and just said, what are the questions that we really need to be asking? Like, what, what, what do parents really want to know? What, what do children actually really want their parents to ask? And, and also, what do they not want them to ask? And that kind of became the basis of where the questionnaire and the survey and the interviews and focus groups uh, kind of went. Uh, I talked to psychologists, I talked to school principals and counsellors and uh, police and all sorts of people to really get to the guts of what is really happening for our teenage daughters today. And, and they were
0: remarkably candid. You start with parents, though, in the first couple of chapters. We're talking about what parents are feeling and what their questions are. And before we talk about what your daughters need, what is it that you're experiencing at this stage of, of parenting,
1: uh, me personally, or what is it? The parents. No, no, no. Parents, parents
0: are yes, parents. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, so, so I think one of the biggest things uh, that came out in my interviews with parents, particularly, was uh, I, I love this child so much. I want the very best for her, uh, but I just want to keep holding her close because she's only thirteen or she's only fifteen or she's only seventeen. She's still just so little and I don't want to let her go. And yet I want her to spread her wings. I want her to fly. It's just that every time she gets that opportunity to do it, I want to I want to rein her back in and pull her close again. Hold her. Uh, keep her safe, know where she is, protect her, all that sort of thing. So there's this there's quite a dramatic tension that a lot of parents identified where as much as they might say to their friends in moments of anguish, oh, for goodness sakes, I wish she'd just move out and leave me alone already. Um, most parents really don't want that to happen. They want to stay closely connected to their uh, to their daughters. And, and ironically, the daughters have said the same thing about their parents. As much as my parents frustrate me, as much as they're driving me crazy, I just want to stay connected and close.
0: So there's this tension of them needing to move into independence and autonomy. You talk about that as one of the key needs that they have. There's this tension between that and also still needing the the, the connection. And there's a lot of parenting at this age and stage working out where that boundary lies and how to give effect to two things that are almost at, at odds.
1: And that boundary kind of changes on an – well, maybe on a a day-to-day or even an hour-to-hour basis – um, we, we we feel like we're close. We feel like the connection is just right. And all of a sudden, our teenager turns around and rolls their eyes at us or gives us some attitude or says, would you just mind your own business or stop telling me what to do? And we think, well, hang on. I, th- I thought that we'd just negotiated this boundary and I thought I was welcome. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it's it's so hard. Our best efforts to connect often miss, and theirs do too. That's ultimately why I call the book Miss Connection.
0: So it's dynamic, isn't it? It's, it's not a... Um... It's not a yes, as you say. We've got this sorted, and this is the strategy for now. It's actually, it's <laughs> yeah. actually an instinctive response in some ways to almost every situation. Which if, which way should I go here? Because well, they often send you a signal too that's possibly the opposite of what they actually want.
1: Yeah, yeah. If parenting was a GPS unit, it would constantly saying be saying reorienting, you know, re- reschedul- re- re- recalibrating, because that's kind of what parenting is. We we have to shift constantly it's it's so vital that we are attuned to our children and 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 you know what our girls said to me consistently was it's really hard to talk to my parents about stuff I tend not to talk to them because when I do they just tell me what to do or they they become autobiographical they start saying oh look when I was a kid we didn't have to deal with this and why don't you know why, why can't it just be like when I was a kid or they become dismissive and they say oh come on you'll be right hard enough get over it it's not that bad and so girls are sort of saying i i, I want to connect i want to be attuned but every time i try i feel like we miss in our connection
0: so listening just listening in whatever you may think of what you're hearing just letting it be said <laughs> yeah. and received as the first
1: yeah i i think i mean i know we started talking off uh, talking about parent needs but but the number one child need the one number one teenage girl need is is listen. In fact, uh, the, the girls' voices are really prominent throughout the book um, because I don't think that I should be speaking for them. I wanted to give them a voice, uh, and and one of the girls that I quoted directly essentially said, "I just need you to listen when I talk to you. I just need you to listen. Don't say anything. Just listen." And I thought, isn't it isn't it perfect? You can hear the yearning. You can hear the pleading. Uh, I I feel like we're connected best when I know that you're understanding me rather than just telling me what to do again.
0: Acknowledgement and validation of what they're thinking and what they're feeling, whatever your opinion of it. Just before we leave the parents, though, because I think this is related, you also ask parents why they're parenting, which seems an unusual question. But your purpose of doing that is what? For them to look at their own motives, their own reactions in certain situations? What are you asking when you ask a parent why they're parenting?
1: I think it's a little. It's about going a little deeper than normal, Uh, and I didn't realise this until after I'd read written that section of the chapter that you're referring to. Uh, There's a a kind of a leadership guru out there by the name of Simon Sinek, uh, and somebody pointed it out to me when they read a draft. They said, "Well, he's he's written a whole book about how we need to start with why," and I thought, "Isn't that isn't that appropriate?" You know, when when I say to parents, "Why do you parent?" they usually stare at me blankly, like. Uh, because I have to or because uh, I've got kids and the police will take them away from me if I don't parent them. And and to me, I think that that's a really low bar. Uh, I'm interested in why we parent because that why will establish the way we respond to the challenges that our teenage girls present us with if we're doing it because we have to we're more likely to just roll our eyes and say, oh, for goodness sakes, figure it out for yourself. Could you stop bothering me? I'm trying to watch this TV program. I'm trying to get a new high score on Candy Crush. I've got to get this email out. Just, I've got to cook dinner. Leave me alone and figure it out. If our why is because I have to, we, we're we less likely to invest in a, in a way that is going to grow a resilient, thriving, flourishing teenager. But if our why is because we want to help our child experience fulfillment or if our why is because we want to grow a daughter into a um into a contributing member of a, a vibrant and flourishing society what that means is that when they come to us with challenges or when they come to us being challenging we're going to respond to that challenge in a very different way our why will drive us to be patient to be compassionate to listen and understand to be attuned our why when it comes to why we're raising our children is central in determining what kind of a parent will be and what kind of a connection we'll have with that child.
0: There's another why that's important, which is whether one's own needs are getting in the way of parenting and sometimes a parental, parental response. And we've talked previously about that risk uh, for a mother of wanting to be best friends with her child or possibly the risk um, of a father and forgive the stereotypes you know needing to have a sense of being in control and, and, and being a leader so sometimes your own needs if you, if you can't ID them will get in the way of what your best response is
1: Catherine I might just extend that a little further as well if I may um I've just come from a meeting at a, a, a very, very nice school here in Auckland uh, where uh, there's, uh, I'll, I'll be coming back to Auckland to speak at that school later this year. And uh, in my conversation with uh, one, of the, one of the school leaders, they highlighted that for some of the parents at this particular school, and I can assure you that it's the same at pretty much every school uh, in New Zealand, Australia, or anywhere else in the world, there are some parents whose why is I want my child to be a success. And to many parents, that that aspirational success orientation is actually about um, material success rather than character success. Not that they're mutually exclusive, but there's a very strong focus on material success that comes from academic success. And what I'm seeing happening increasingly, particularly in some of the more well-heeled Uh, well-to-do areas is that parents want their children to be materially successful to the detriment of the rest of their lives. Uh, The pressure that those children are feeling, the anxiety that the girls are experiencing, the absolute need to be perfect to please their parents or to get the grade or to get into the right university or the right job or the right whatever it might be. It seems to be in many instances actually crushing our girls Uh, And and taking away from them that sense of autonomy and even even the light, the spark that's inside them, it seems to be slowly snuffing it out.
0: What did they tell you and what did you discern from what they told you are their main needs, whatever their behaviour and however much their behaviour might sometimes contradict their main needs?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I, I often say when our children are being uh, – the, the our children need our love the most when they deserve it the least. Now, of course, they always deserve it, so I, I put deserve in inverted commas. But our children absolutely need our love at the times where they're being the most challenging, the time when we're least likely to give it. When, you know, we, we withhold it, uh, and that's that's not healthy or helpful for them. They've identified very clearly in their conversations with me that they, they're, they're number one. Uh, and, and it makes it made me weep as I was typing it into the computer to you know write write the chapter. Their number one need is not just to connect. Uh, that, that's that's part of it, but at a deeper and more fundamental level, uh, I remember one girl said, "I just want to know that you're proud of me. I just want to know that um, if you had a choice between me and you know a fancy lifestyle, or me and a million dollars, or me and this, or me and that, I need to know that you'd choose me." There's this, this deep-seated, uh, I think that it's biological, I think that it's, it's an undeniable uh, real uh, thing that we're born with to, to be connected and to feel worthy, to feel like I matter, to feel like I belong. And that goes, that goes deeper than just mere connection. The, the, the sense of belonging, uh, that's, what they, that's what they told me so clearly, uh, both explicitly and implicitly in, in so much of their feedback.
0: There's also the autonomy, though, and this again when we when we're balancing these two things, and we, we talk about that word boundaries between freedom uh, to go and explore, freedom to push, freedom to become who you want to become, but always but also setting boundaries that for for what purpose? When you are setting boundaries, it's it's to what ends? <laughs>
1: uh, I know, and some parents, um, well, most parents will will. will come to me and say i'm really struggling with boundaries with my daughter uh so so the second most important need that they have frankly outside of that relatedness belonging mattering are you proud of me need is i have a need for autonomy i want to make my own decisions i want to be the volitional agent in my life Uh, and 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 they really do push against us i've I've got a, a phrase that i use consistently throughout the book and that is that force creates resistance and the more forceful we become, in in fact, um, one one girl said, and I quote: the, sne- "The the stricter the parent, the sneakier the child." Stay woke. <laughs> she was she's basically saying the, the the more you try to pin me down, the harder I'm going to push to be sneaky and get around your limits. They just want their autonomy. They're like, well, hang on, I'm nearly an adult. I'm only a few years off this now. Let me make my own decisions. I'm figuring out who I am, and I can't do that if you don't let me. So in, uh, in one of the chapters, I talk really, uh, really carefully about how we can set boundaries and limits with and sometimes even for our teenage daughters in a way that is supportive of their desire for autonomy. Their desire to make decisions for themselves. I, I might I might run through this little model with you. It'll it'll just take a moment, and it's and, and it's it's sublime in its simplicity. Once once we understand it, um, I call it the three E's of effective discipline. And what I suggest, Catherine, is this: the first thing that we do is when our child is being challenging or struggling with something or needs a little bit of extra attention from us about an issue, we explore. And, and the best way that I can describe this is that we need to get curious, not furious. I mean, it's really um, tempting as parents. It's, it's almost natural as parents that when our child is doing something challenging, that we blow up, we explode, we reprimand, we tell them off, we lay down the law, we say, it's my house, it's my rules, you'll do it my way or you'll find somewhere else to be, you know, my way or the highway kind of thing. Uh, but that tends to rupture relationships. It doesn't tend to help us to raise children who are doing the right thing for the right reasons. If they do comply, they're only doing it while we're facing them as soon as our back is turned Uh, You know, we say, don't you ever let me catch you doing that? And they say, don't worry, you'll never catch me. I'll be very sneaky next time. And and so the idea with Explore is we turn towards our child and we say, well, you really seem to be struggling with this. Let's talk about it. Help me to understand what's so hard. And it might be that we've said they can't go to the party on Friday night, or it might be that we've said we don't want them using the iPad at the dinner table or in their bedroom. Uh, Whatever it is, when they blow up, when they get angry, instead of meeting fire with fire and then scorching the whole earth so much better to look at them and say, wow, I've just just suggested a boundary and you seem really upset by that. Why don't you help me to understand why? So we explore. Then the second E is that we explain. So once we've listened carefully and understood exactly what our child's challenge is, we explain what our rationale is. We say, well, I, I get where you're coming from. Maybe I can spend some time telling you where I'm coming from with this rule. Every time this comes up, we end up in a fight, So, and we step through it. Now, sometimes our kids fall asleep when we start lecturing them and explaining things to them. So I find it's useful to say to my daughters, uh, I could explain this to you, but why don't you tell me what you think my reasoning is, and you explain it to me. Either way, we want their brain moving, and so we, we get them to explore and then explain. And then the final E is that we empower. That is, we say, okay, you get where I'm coming from. I get where you're coming from. And then we ask one of two questions. We say, where do we go from here? Or how can I help? You see, our role as parents, especially in the teenage years, is not to position ourselves as the enemy of our children. It's to position ourselves as their ally. And we do that best by exploring their world, explaining why we have the boundary in place or why we want to set a boundary, and then empowering them to come up with safe, healthy, wise decisions for themselves.
0: What do you do if there is direct and deliberate defiance and repeated defiance, and what's driving that?
1: Yeah, well, it could be any number of things. Sometimes it's something that's going wrong at school. Sometimes it could be a a friendship hassle. Sometimes it could just be their increasing quest for autonomy. Um, What I typically find is that when kids are being defiant, though, there is an unmet need, and we sometimes need to explore uh, and, and explore deeply. I, I had an experience recently with one of my children. She was being breathtakingly defiant. Uh, and uh, it, it's a sensitive issue that I'm going to raise, but nevertheless, this is part of real life and raising daughters. Um, she was experiencing her first period. She didn't know what to expect. Well, she, sorry, she knew what to expect, but it wasn't like she had expected it would be. Uh, and it took, it took me 10 or 15 minutes of poking and prodding before she finally revealed that to me. And I called out to mum and mum and I sat down and we had a chat with her and everything calmed itself down. It, it could be any number of things. And our job is to investigate sensitively and delicately. You don't do heart surgery with sledgehammers.
0: What is it these uh, girls told you? They, um, they talked about subdiffuses and lies and some details to you. And what was some of the, some of the insights you've got about that that you can share with people?
1: Um, In terms of insights, I guess the first insight is that our our daughters will deceive us if they feel like they're going to get in trouble. And so I think that as parents of teenage daughters, we need to make a point of letting our kids know, I'm not interested in getting you in trouble. I'm interested in working with you and helping you and figuring things out. That's That's my goal. That's my mission here. I don't ever want to get you in trouble. I just want to work things out with you. Uh, that helps them to feel safe in a position, as I say, as an ally rather than an enemy. Uh, I mean, they're, they're lying about um, their device usage, for example. So one of the most common things that they lie about is what they're doing on their devices, how many Instagram accounts they've got, how many, um, how, how much time they're spending on TikTok or Snapchat. Uh, they're lying about um, you know, their, their boyfriend. Their boyfriend may not be in their phone under his name. Their boyfriend might be in their phone under the name cassie or brie or um, jemima you know they, they'll, they'll put their boyfriend's name under a girl's name and, and the reason that they're doing this is because they think they're going to get in trouble um, they'll they'll do sneaky things with their devices and they won't tell us because they think we're going to say if you lie to me about what you're doing on your device i'm taking it off you you'll lose it for a week and they think well i can't bear to be without my device i mean that's like Telling me I can't have oxygen for a week. And so they lie. Our our job, therefore, is not to threaten them and punish them. Our job as parents is to set effective limits with them by exploring, explaining, and empowering, by coming up with ways that they can have the good things, the safe things, the healthy things that they want in their lives in ways that we can feel good about. And if they can't, I've got to be honest, every now and again, the parent has to say, Well, I get what you want. I understand what you're asking for. But as the parent, now that we've had this conversation, I, I can't let you go to that party. Some, I can't let you have that thing. Yeah.
0: There's some useful details on just how um, creative they are and their subterfuge as well that, <laughs> yes. that, that readers might enjoy in the book. Social media and the pressure of social media is um, evident in, in, in various ways and what they tell you and, in, and also in what the points of conflict are. And what have you learned from what they've told you that parents should be active on and, and, and you know engaging that model of explore, explain empower what's some of the stuff parents need to know?
1: Uh, I think that what they need to know is that um, honesty is always the best policy. They need to know that sometimes their children are going to be doing things that um, they don't want their parents to know. Sometimes that's concerning most of the time, most of the time it's just kids being kids and wanting their privacy and wanting to be allowed to have conversations with their friends that aren't being overheard. By their parents. I mean, if if you think back to when we were kids, Catherine, and I'm going to make an assumption that you're, you know, loosely a Gen Xer or thereabouts, like like most of the parents that I spoke to, uh, parents of teenagers today. Um, what what I found with the the Gen X and the Gen Y parents is that we used to try to get these private moments. Uh, we, we'd we'd pick up the telephone that was connected to the wall by a cord and we'd try to have this whispering conversation in the hallway and hope that mum wouldn't be picking up the phone in her bedroom to listen in and down the line and hear what we were saying to our, our most beloved, our, our girlfriend or our boyfriend or whoever it was, or even our best friend about, you know, that, that boy or that girl that we had a crush on. Um, we always wanted to have, uh, time ourselves to, um, to, to work through this stuff on our own and our children are saying the same thing and for the most part they're just being kids and they're being delightful in their in their childhood experiences I think though that we've also got to make sure that we're connected enough to sense when there's something wrong we've got to have a level of trust with our children so that if there's something going wrong they'll tell us and even if they won't tell us we'll be close enough to someone somewhere to know that oh hang on I do need to just I just need to step in here. I need to be a little bit closer to my child so that we can work this out.
0: One point, just to finish, Justin, you do encourage people to watch out for the or ever-present Instagram influences and to try and be proactive in pointing them towards people who are um, you know, fulfilling their destiny in different ways, whether it's artists or designers or thinkers or something that your daughter shows some interest in. Is that Was that a constant recurring theme from these girls you talked to, nearly 400 of them, the Instagram influencer?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, this, this ties in with a couple of the other things that we need to focus on, uh, and time probably won't permit, but just to mention them very briefly. Things like identity development, body image, um, being popular. And, you know, being being one of the cool kids, uh, it seems that what I call the super peer, which is the media, specifically social media, uh, it really has a, a dramatic impact on our, our daughter's well-being. Uh, now, now, this is a controversial topic. Uh, screen time, uh, according to the latest science, is not having a huge impact on our daughter's well-being, but social media specifically is and does. And that's because it sets up this ideal of what's hot, what's popular, what's right, what's wrong. And our children, if they're not careful, can become consumed by that. You know, you've got to look a certain way. If you look a certain way, you're going to be, well, you're going to be hot. And if you're hot, you're going to be popular and you're going to have lots of friends and uh, all the the cool gadgets and, and be one of the cool kids. So my advice to parents is encourage your children to follow people that they know, that they feel good about, and also follow people who are not necessarily popular for being popular or famous for being famous but instead are changing the world in meaningful ways are are, are positive influences of how we can find fulfilment in our lives rather than just look hot and have lots of followers
0: Thank you Justin safe travel safe drive I can hear the cicadas so it sounds like the weather's good Dr Justin Colson PhD Misconnection is his book it's published by ABC Books
1: Hi